Hey gang, I had a really good conversation with Max Reed, who is a tech and culture journalist, about Elon Musk purchasing Twitter. Max made a unique argument that I think is likely correct about what is going to happen to the future of this pretty bad but bizarrely influential website that lots of people, including myself, have become addicted to. If you like this content, leave a five-star rating, leave a positive review, share it on social media, tell your friends, tell your family. You know the drill. Thanks. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, R.A. Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Max Reed. Max, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I am Max Reed. I'm a writer and editor who specializes in writing about technology and culture. Um, and I have a newsletter called Read Max that you can find at maxread.substack.com. Thanks for coming back on. So we're going to be talking about Elon Musk and Twitter and jumping off of the piece that you wrote on April 26, reacting to this. The headline is Elon Musk won't fix Twitter, but he won't kill it either, uh, which I really was intrigued and somewhat disheartened by. So my initial reaction when it became clear that like Musk was actually doing this was, well, either he's going to make Twitter somewhat better, which I think wouldn't be that hard because it, as you know, it like a lot of the people who use it sort of hate it or call it the hell site or something like sort of the power users, but also it just doesn't super, it doesn't like work really well just as a uh, app or website to use. And there seems like there's lots of things that could just be done to improve like the standard usability. So I thought, okay, maybe that will be good. Or I thought, well, he's gonna like make it so much worse by, you know, inviting all the trolls back on that people are gonna start leaving Twitter and that will be good also because Twitter is, in my opinion, has, you know, produced a lot of bad outcomes and is generally like a net negative for America and the world that it exists. So if he was to somehow like drive it into the ground, I would be happy about that too. So that was my sort of clever little idea. There's like, okay, well, this is sort of like a, you know, heads we win, tails we win kind of thing. But then you, in your piece, you basically said, no, no, <laughs> it's basically gonna stay the same. And that's because Elon Musk wants it to stay the same. And the way Twitter works now, somewhat shittily, like actually helps Elon Musk a lot. So uh, could you lay out that argument? Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose I should say I started from my basic, you know, way of analyzing and predicting the future, which is to assume that um, the stupidest possible outcome is the most likely one. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, as you were sort of saying, I think there's this assumption that somebody like Elon Musk, whose persona is so wrapped around the idea of disruption and of being sort of not playing by the rules and doing crazy things. And even frankly, the very fact of him deciding to buy what is at best a sort of moribund company at no small risk to his own, you know, actual holdings, um, suggests that he has some sort of grand plan for it, that there's going to be, he's going to take a big swing. And, you know, I don't blame anybody for thinking this because this is the language that Musk himself is using, which is he's talking about Twitter as a town square. It's a sort of public resource. It needs to focus on free speech. It needs to do, do all these different things. And I think you could look at it, you know, on the one hand, just from a sort of rational point of view, which is to say, like, 
from the point of view of the stock market, at least, Elon Musk is a pretty good executive. He is good at generating value from his companies. You know, we should say very clearly that from the point of view of the various people who, who've worked at Tesla and SpaceX who have sued him over the years, he's a really terrible manager and kind of a cruel autocrat, if not like a racist, sexist bully. But as far as the markets are concerned, he knows how to generate profits, or he at least at the very least, he knows how to create value for shareholders. So you might say, okay, well, this is a guy who's going to come in. And I think a lot of the Silicon Valley technocrats and the oligarchs of Silicon Valley who are Musk's social peers and fans sort of had this idea that he's going to come in, you know, Twitter has too many woke SJW employees, and they're the ones that are holding the company back, and he's <laughs> going to fire these people. And, uh, and some he's also going to increase the amount of speech and all of these things together is going to somehow turn Twitter into like the financial powerhouse we all believe it should be. Um, because, you know, I, I should say, like, the, the context of this is that what we're talking about is a company that really only sometimes makes a profit that uh, is is barely trading above what the IPO, uh, what, it, what it debuted at in an IPO. And yet, on the other hand, is this, we can all acknowledge this extremely culturally influential platform. So there's always been this, the conventional wisdom in Silicon Valley is that there's some value to be unlocked there that just has never been unlocked. Um, so that's the case that, you know, this is, is a vague one. It's not a specific one. And certainly Musk's own stated plans for it are, are relatively vague. But, you know, just the presumption that there is this value waiting to be unlocked to Twitter and that Elon Musk is a singularly talented executive would lead you to believe that he's about to turn Twitter into a real kind of a powerhouse. The yes. flip side, as, as he talks about free speech and he talks about, you know, how he's going to uh, he wants to treat, he, he, he himself says stuff like, I'm not interested in running it as a business concern. I want to run it for this sort of public, these public reasons. I think a lot of people on the left are sort of rightfully nervous that what he means when he says that is he's going to unban President Trump and uh, bring on a lot of right wing trolls who have been banned or sort of ruthlessly moderated into compliance on the platform and basically render the whole thing unusable for people on the left, that it's going to just become a den of harassment and um, frustrating, you know, discursive interactions. Mm -hmm. um, and what's interesting about these two sort of opposing views is the thing that they agree on is that Twitter is just sort of fundamentally broken or underperforming, that there's something that is just wrong with the service that can and should be fixed. Um, and I think this is basically Anybody who uses Twitter to a significant degree agrees with this. You agree with it on a platform level. The, the, it just doesn't work as well as it should. You know, Twitter DMs, for example, are sort of notoriously a pain in the butt and, and if, if not actually broken. The discourse on the site can be incredibly frustrating. The kind, and obviously, the, sort of the stock performance, the, the business performance is really low. And what's interesting about that to me is that when you look at Twitter from the point of view of somebody like Elon Musk, I am not at all, like, among of all the people who might look at Twitter and think this thing is broken or not broken. I think Elon Musk is probably the one person for whom Twitter is not really broken at all. Um, and the reason I say this is that Twitter has become essential, essential to his entire business persona. There's a uh, great newsletter uh, called The Margins um, that advanced a, a, what I thought was a, a pretty convincing sort of theory about Elon's play on Twitter. And the key point there is that um, Elon uses Twitter as an extension of his businesses, that he doesn't spend any money, for example, on marketing for Tesla because his persona is the whole marketing. And his persona is performed more than anywhere else on Twitter, that he needs to perform to an audience of one retail investors who are going to find the persona um, compelling in some way, this sort of outsized, you know, 
uh, maverick, future thinking, visionary. The other category is journalists who, for whom Elon Musk is kind of an eternal traffic generator, that if you write a headline with Elon Musk, positive, negative, or in between, you're almost guaranteed to get people to read, to disagree. Um, he's polarizing in a way that I think we're sort of, we're all familiar at this point uh, with the way in which polarizing figures uh, like Musk, like Trump, like all kinds of social media people just generate an outsized amount of attention. Mm -hmm. So all of that is to say that Twitter, he needs Twitter in order for him to keep the Tesla stock price where it is, in order for him to continue being the kind of, as we say, the richest person on the planet. Um, he needs Twitter to, to, to sort of maintain his holdings, to continue marketing himself, to convince people that he is uh, who, he, who he claims to be. So in that sense, it's, it's not at all clear to me that, that Elon Musk would imagine Twitter to be broken. And so, you know, my, my sort of working theory is that while he might tinker on the edges, I expect he will unban Trump um, just as a kind of gesture to the sort of the, the big changes he's claiming to make. And he maybe will fix a couple product things on the edges here and there. I don't think he's actually going to make any of the sweeping changes that would take Twitter uh, from what it is right now into either something so bad that it's going to collapse or something so good it's going to... Um, it's going to take off in the way that people expect. And the the sort of the tendentious part of this thought that I have, that I have no way of backing this up and no evidence for is, you know, Twitter, since Jack Dorsey, the uh, founder of Twitter and, and most recently a second time CEO, since he left late last year, there have been some positive signs for the company. It seemed like it finally has sort of developed a product roadmap. It was still missing expectations in terms of earnings, but it, it did kind of look like maybe uh, it had a direction for the first time in a while and that it, it had a sense of what it wanted to do and some goals. And if I were somebody like Elon Musk, for whom this very specific, frankly, broken version of Twitter, I had, <laughs> I had figured out a way to leverage it to work for me. I think, at the you know, setting aside the idea that I would want to come in and make sure it didn't change at all, at the very least, I would want to make sure that I was the person in charge of making the changes so that it didn't affect my own power on the platform. Okay. I was fairly convinced by this argument, uh, <laughs> which is why I asked you on. And the sort of cynical aspect of it appeals to me. And the, you know, the idea that we can't have good things <laughs> makes sense makes sense to me at this point in, in American history. And, you know, you know that basically, like, every time... Uh, okay, I'll just read, <laughs> read a couple sentences here from the piece. Um... The average person's experience with Twitter is like being ignored by celebrities they reply to and trying to figure out what the fuck Luna is. Elon Musk's experience with Twitter is that he tweets and then whatever he said, whatever the context, he becomes richer. Why would he do anything to change that? And so I guess, I mean, this makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, Musk's, Musk becoming the richest person in the world, I guess it has a lot to do with Tesla becoming sort of a meme stock in the past mm -hmm. two years. And, and so that's, I mean, Amazon is a much bigger and more powerful company than Tesla or SpaceX. And yet Musk has vaulted ahead through sort of the, the, the fact that the Tesla stock price has become disconnected from like normal stock reality. And I guess Tesla is successful and SpaceX is, I don't know. I mean, it's, they're launching rockets and they're not blowing <laughs> up and stuff. So it, it's not like a fake company or he's not like a complete grifter in the way that trump was but yeah just like musk has captured the attention economy in a similar way that trump did 
but he is using it because of stock ownership and this, you know, cultural change around like individual investors who I seem to be mostly like younger people um, <laughs> getting like into stock trading through uh, meme stocks and just like sort of having fun and like taking it to the moon and the stuff that started happening during the pandemic. Is that how you see it also that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think Tesla is, is probably slightly more, um, I mean, I, you know, it's hard to figure out the right words to use about this that aren't too normative because, you know, the, the market is kind of, it's supposed to be emotive rather than rational, but I, you know, it's a little more legitimate than the meme stocks that you can build a, a bull case for Tesla that I think is more compelling, like a sort of material rational bull case for Tesla that I think is more compelling than the material rational bull case for GameStop or AMC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's also like, there is a cultural part of this that's beyond the kind of like epic bacon randomness of like a Reddit thing that, that you know, I think something Elon Musk does well, if I have to give him credit for something is suggests a, a positive vision of the future um, in a world that, you know, as we, as we were both just joking about often, you know, feels like we can't have nice things and that, mm-hmm. you know, the stupidest possible thing is going to happen. And so I think that, you know, buying a piece of Tesla can mean on the one hand, it can be a kind of a gamble, a kind of speculative act, a, a thought that, it, you know, it's already mooned over the last two years. So maybe it'll just keep going up. It's never going to go down. It can also be a kind of bet on, you know, a decarbonized future on a particularly exciting kind of technology on cars that I'm not much of a car guy, but car guys I know tell me that Teslas themselves are really not very impressive. And in fact, a lot of like very serious car nerds, I think kind of hate them, but somehow Tesla has managed to, has managed to attach to itself this brand of futurism, of disruption, of all these things. And, you know, all that stuff packaged together is a very powerful little uh, emotional appeal. Um, and, you know, if, I, don't, I, I don't actually know what the percentage in terms of institutional versus retail investors and all this stuff on Tesla is, but the, the stock price has now reached a point you know, and this is also has to just has to do with the crazy froth that the market has gone through over the course of the pandemic. But right. the, 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 the stock price point that Tesla is at right now, you know, Tesla's would have to become the biggest company on the planet. It's going to like at some point, it's <laughs> going to have to produce more than just cars. It's going to have to be like the Wiley Coyote Roadrunner Ac- you know, the Acme Corporation that just produces everything in order for it to justify the absolutely absurd price that its stock is at now. So, you know, so all of that is to say, like, because of all this disconnect, because of that kind of um, the the need for that emotional sort of passion, um, that that sense of belonging to something, I think, like, you have to see Musk and Musk's ability to sell his vision is sell himself as the visionary who's going to take us all to Mars and uh, and solve the climate crisis. Um, and and the, the easiest and quickest and cheapest way for him to do that is to just be on Twitter kind of being random and being approachable in a funny way, and, but also challenging orthodox, what he sees as orthodoxies and all these things. Um, you know, I, I, like, I feel like I'm even over explaining it. It's like, as you say, he captures the attention economy by acting fucking wild and that gets people interested in him and that interest translates in a in a much more direct way than I think ever before into um, wealth. And so if you take away Twitter, what you have is a guy whose ability to sort of control the messages around him is all of a sudden now mediated by a lot of business press that is probably on the whole more skeptical of him 
than uh, than he would than certainly than he would like. Um, so it's like you know what is the difference between he can just tweet you know uh, I'm trying to think of some some stupid thing he he can just tweet 420 or whatever and he'll get 50 like sort of blog posts just people just you know like people just churning out content Elon Musk tweeted 420 here's what that means whatever all of which again like even if it doesn't seem like it directly translates to some kind of business acumen clearly feeds into a perception that 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 gives people since they want to buy into it versus he if he if he can't tweet at all if he's not tweeting then you know it, the the coverage is going to be about lawsuits against him the coverage is going to be about <laughs> tesla failing to meet production quotas the coverage is going to be about the fact that like the t- cars the doors don't actually close or the firmware update came and the brakes stopped working or whatever it is um yeah and that's a very different that's a i think that's a very different story and it's much harder to bring um to bring people in um so you know and, and let me just i know i've been answering this question for a long time but but i can even anticipate i think th- there's obviously a middle ground between him being on twitter unfiltered and him being not on twitter at all and i think that that's where my argument kind of lies is that to me you know if i'm running twitter even from a super business oriented point of view not as a public utility or whatever i think i'm looking at it and i'm thinking the reason people not many people are signing up for this and the reason people don't like this service very much besides journalists essentially and and some tech workers is that they're constantly being shown things they didn't ask to be shown and they're constantly being dragged into spheres and arguments and things that they don't really want to be a part of and i think <laughs> that feature of twitter is exactly the feature that musk is really good at taking advantage of that he has that sort of that kanye trump black hole ability to kind of just get on and suddenly everything in your timeline is about elon musk And if I'm a product manager, I think that's something I probably want to solve for. Not because I even hate Elon Musk that much, but just because it's like I I want to make sure people who don't care that much about Elon Musk are able to use Twitter without feeling annoyed that Elon Musk is always is always on it. So, you know, if that's the direction that Twitter is going to go in, that hurts Musk maybe not as much as him leaving Twitter entirely, but it definitely hurts his ability to dominate the conversation in the way he wants. So, again, I think that part of his one of his goals on Twitter if he's thinking about this the same way I am which you know I should never assume that Elon Musk is thinking anything at all but if he's thinking about this the same way I am it's how do I how do I make Twitter just profitable enough that I can pay off my loans without significantly harming the culture and structure and algorithmic sorting processes that allow me to make Twitter about me whenever I want it to be about me right and i just looked up um tesla's stock performance over the past five years and it basically was in between you know 50 and 90 or so from like 2017 to 2020 started going up at the beginning of 2020 the pandemic hit had a dip and it's basically so it dipped at march 20th 2020 like week one or two of lockdown 85 and now it's at 900 um jesus and i assume tesla has not increased production by 10 times or profits by 10 times in the past two years um so so it's disconnected from traditional economic you know reality or something like something else is happening here and just musk taking control the attention economy makes sense and you mentioned kanye and the first time i had you as a guest on my podcast we talked about kanye's oval office meeting with trump yeah and you know, whether this was sort of like a mental illness episode that was being aired live on TV. And yeah, Kanye, Musk and Trump are all sort of masters of the modern attention economy, um, mostly to, you know, the detriment of the rest of us. And at least in maybe in Kanye's um, 
and maybe Trump. Well, it's, it's hard to say. You know, it, it seems to have hurt, you know hurt them as well. But you know, Musk is Musk has sort of. I joked a couple of days ago that Musk um, he paid forty four billion to become the main character on Twitter every day. Like yeah. he, like now people are paying way more attention to his tweets. And so he tweeted something about like Well Butrin should yes. be recalled, and suddenly everyone is tweeting about Well Well Butrin, the antidepressant. And so now, he, so he's like now the conductor of the Twitter discourse, which must feel good for a megalomaniac type. Yeah. Seem, seemingly what he is. So yeah, so this all tracks. And so something else, so something I noticed, you know, when it became clear that th- this was going to happen, um, a bunch of Nazis came back to the site. Um, yeah. And I noticed this and I had sort of like, it happened sort of slowly. So I, I didn't even consciously realize it that like, the anime Nazis mostly were driven from the site after 2016 or maybe after Charlottesville was sort of the inflection point. And then a, a ton of QAnon people were knocked out after January 6th. So you, there really were like 2015, 2016, like if you had a Jewish name on Twitter, yeah. you were just getting all this anti-Semitic uh, shit in your mentions and so forth. And then those people either were driven off or sort of went uh, to 4chan to have fun there instead, or maybe turn their lives around. Uh, <laughs> some of them, or maybe they got, you know, arrested for, for something else, or they just grew out of whatever they were doing. But so a bunch of these people returned. And then I started screenshotting some of these and I just, I just checked. So I, I found of the six Nazis that I screenshotted um, like 10 days ago, um, three have since been banned. Yeah. Um, and some of these were actual, were like actual, some of these were anime Nazis and two of these were, prominent uh white supremacist you know actual neo-nazis using their real name who had been like previously banned and then came back so that's probably an easier one to <laughs> just get rid of because if you're banned and then return under a different username you can get banned again very quickly right anyway so then the nazis thought that uh this was you know tomorrow belongs to me and they came back but the the regime has not changed yet and so, and some of them are getting um, getting their accounts suspended once again, but of the the six, three three are still there, three are banned. So I think that's just you right. know, that's a data point. Um, I want to ask about something that I've mentioned to a couple people in DMs, and I think I've maybe even tweeted this, and no one seems to buy this idea. And so I I want to run it by you. <laughs> is maybe um, maybe Musk will make Twitter a paid subscription service, and you can set the price pretty low um maybe just a dollar a month or something that would seemingly solve a ton of the site's problems because like the bots or i've i've long said that the the solution to twitter all twitter's problems would be charged like 10 cents per tweet <laughs> then all the spam and spam bots go away and a lot of the garbage goes away as well and you really have to think whether it's worth 10 cents to say go fuck yourself to a celebrity <laughs> or to tweet a photo of poop or whatever thing you're doing. And that was sort of like half joking, but if you know, it, he's Musk has said that he wants to make the site profitable, but also he mentioned something about like authenticating real um, identities or like sort of giving everyone a blue check mark. Right. The way I think some people interpreted that. So if you make it such that you need to use your real name, you're paying a dollar or $5 a month, then everyone is a blue check mark. And that sort of equalizes the playing field and all the anonymous trolls go do something else. Do you, do you think there's any possibility of this? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I think 
from the point of view of sort of um, just like setting aside Elon Musk for a minute from the point of view of social media design, I think it, I, I think you're right that it would solve a lot of problems if, if, if Twitter started charging even a, a sort of nominal subscription fee. I, and I, I, I think they haven't done that. One reason they haven't done that in the past, there's obviously a bunch of reasons, but one is that I think the internal Twitter culture is very, you know, it was for a long time, it was very pro free speech as they conceived it, especially because so early in its existence, it was um, used so widely in the Arab Spring protests. And I think that became just within the within the company that became such a touchstone for what Twitter was and what it was about, that the idea of implementing features that would prevent like activists from using it to coordinate protests, for example, was mm -hmm. kind of anathema. I actually don't know if that is still really the case. I mean, I think the last, since the Trump election, obviously there's, there, I, I would hope that there's been a lot of soul searching inside Twitter. I don't think Jack Dorsey has done any, uh, I don't think he knows how to soul search. He seems like the least reflective person on the planet, <laughs> but I, you know, Des like despite I think- Despite spending, you know, <laughs> months at a Tibetan monastery right, or whatever exactly. he was doing, yeah. But anyway, so I, you know, I, I would be interested, I, you know, I would be sort of interested to, to, it's an interesting thought experiment. I'd be interested to think through and I wonder if Twitter, um, if that's something that would actually, that they feel like would actually improve discourse on the site, um, because I think it might. From the Musk point of view, I mean, I think, again, the question is, can Musk still command the level and scope of attention that he does if that's the site? Because the thing is, like, one, one answer to that question is, as long as journalists, as long as it's still, like, the the newswire for most journalists, as long as it's the assignment desk for journalists, which it kind of still is, then it doesn't matter whether or not other people are on it. All that matters is that Musk now has the attention of, you know, 60% of all news writers whenever he wants to. On the other hand, it's like if, if Twitter explicitly becomes that more, maybe journalists start to treat it with um, the kind of uh, suspicion that they probably always should have. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like I said, I have, you know, I have this theory about Musk and his relationship to Twitter, but he is really genuinely quite unpredictable. And I also mm -hmm. think, I mean, if I had to guess, and again, we're just, I'm just speculating here. If I had to guess, I don't think when he started buying stock in January and, and even when he revealed his 10%, 9% stake in February, that he had the long-term intent of buying it. And there's some reporting in the Wall Street Journal that suggests that that's the case, that he sort of just wanted influence and he was just sort of idly, I don't know, dicking around, I guess. And he, <laughs> he, he enjoyed the attention so much. He liked how powerful it made him seem, you know, and he had pressure from people like Peter Thiel that he was like, well, fuck it. I'll just, I'll just buy the whole thing. Um, and if that's really the case, then I think the scope of possibility is, is actually pretty wide, but he, he may, he really may just want to, um, shake things up and do something like you know install he uh, the last i heard something he was talking about is uh, revenue generating was like licensing tweets that if you wanted to embed a tweet you would have to pay some mm -hmm. you'd have to pay some money which seems totally unworkable and a really good way to kind of um ruin a lot of twitter's brand equity but yeah that know. seems strange to me i mean you could just screenshot a tweet and in fact that's a better way to do it because tweets get deleted right um but i something i mean paying to quote tweet would i probably because quote tweeting is what is something that contributes to a lot of um toxicity yeah. um and i think that would possibly improve you know the bad experience um so the trump question is an interesting one um the thing that seems to have 
one or at least one possible thing that seems to have really pissed off Musk was um, Twitter banning the Babylon Bee, which is sort of the if, you, if people have not heard of it, it's sort of like the onion for the evangelical world. <laughs> and it's it started off as sort of a gentle satire of like evangelical mores. But at some point in the past couple of years, they realized they could drum up a lot more traffic by running just like the most clickbaity, like uh, piss off the libs kind of content. And um, I, I can't remember if it was ever funny to begin with, but it's become like very, very unfunny. Yeah. But they, they just churn out this shit that is just, you know, making, you know, just Hunter Biden. Um, it, it's like if like the stupidest people at Fox News were running a humor magazine. Right. Um, and so they tweeted something where they uh, there's a official in the Biden administration who's a trans woman and they named her man of the year and that got them banned. Um, right. And that pissed off a lot of conservatives. And, and there was some I saw something saying that Musk like called up the editor of the Babylon Bee and talked to him about this. Um, so that sort of thing, like he does seem to have some actual commitment to what his idea of free speech right. um, and bringing back, you know, some element of of that seems like it could happen. But if he wants to not make the site miserable, then like the anime Nazis are going to end up getting banned. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is, I, this seems to me to be the kind of, I mean, this is, it's been observed before, you know, I think, uh, I, I know Mike Masnick, who's a, a free speech and content moderation expert who writes at Tector, um, has written about this a little bit. And Yishan Wong, the ex Reddit's the former CEO of Reddit at a, mm -hmm. at a Twitter thread. But, you know, it, I think the, something that seems to be poorly understood by Musk, at least in terms of his public pronouncement is that content moderation isn't, this isn't, you know, it's a, it's, it's a sort of absurdly complicated. But you, you can talk, uh, you know, about principles like free speech, and and you can sort of get in these legalistic arguments about should the Babylon B have been banned or not been banned. But practically speaking, what you're talking about is, uh, is is stuff that that revenge porn and beheading videos and like how do you manage a a, a workforce of people who have to watch this stuff and decide what to do and, and and what you do with the edge cases about violence and threats and this kind of thing. It's not really about the high profile, you know, right. uh, dead naming people or, or, or whatever, whatever you would, whatever you do. And, you know, presumably if Elon Musk actually is a good executive and manager, which I, you know, as I, I sort of hemmed and hawed on this early on, and I think the jury's kind of out, you know, or, or he might be a good manager in certain circumstances and a terrible one in others. He's got to know that this isn't something that you're not going to, you're not going to make anything better by coming in and trying to sort of uh, with a sweep of your hand undo the the complex um, kind of framework that's been worked out by the moderators. Like I, I'm sure there are circumstances where that kind of high handed um, management works, but this is not, you know, you're talking about a moderation framework that uh, has to be um, sufficient across, you know, the 70 plus or whatever it is countries that Twitter is currently active in. Um, right. You're talking about contracts with moderation companies all over the world. Um, so, you know, I, and then and then in addition to all that, you're also talking about like the internal institutional culture. You know, I mean, this is something that I actually think the sort of Silicon Valley execs who, who, who seem to be gleefully predicting that Musk is going to fire everyone, um, that they actually kind of get right, which is that Part of the issue here is that you have a powerful and 
relatively well-organized workforce that is making demands of the executives. Um, and I think that that's maybe a little underexplored that it's like, so what happens if you start to, if you start allowing more hate speech? Well, it probably means a mass exodus. Like, and I, you know, I don't think there are enough um, Nazi or free speech um, developers in Silicon Valley to necessarily <laughs> to staff out your organization. I might be wrong. It's not like there is no political right or, or political libertarian sort of wing there. But something that seems to have become pretty clear over the last few years is that the kind of rank and file at most of the big platform workplaces uh, leans left. Um, and in some cases, is quite far left um, and certainly feels strongly uh, even if they're not sort of explicitly left, that they have uh, responsibilities that the jobs they work for, you know, you know, many of them took these jobs because they imagined themselves to be on a mission. And so, and so therefore are, um, want to fulfill that. So I think that, you know, if, if this is something he wants to do, and, you know, maybe unbanning Trump is just, is, is the kind of like one fell swoop. It'll satisfy some of his right-wing people and the left-wing will kind of just have to live with it. Because well, he... So I, I'll just say, I think, I mean, it's hard, like you said, it's so unpredictable that it's sort of a, a fool's game to say any individual move. But if I had to put money on it, I would say he, he brings back the Babylon Bee and does not bring back Trump. Because, <laughs> but also I think I was sort of idly musing you know, if he brings back Trump and then Trump comes back, that's kind of like a cuck move on Trump's part. Yeah. Like he's relying on another man to like rescue him. Right. And, and all while at the same time, you know, he has this truth social like Twitter ripoff website that's sort of failing. Um, And so coming back under those circumstances is really sort of like, yeah, I had, like he had to rely on like a real billionaire to save him. So, so I don't know, but I think I would, it seems more likely than not that, that Trump stays off the platform yeah. um, either because he decides he he's allowed to come back and he's, and he says he decides I'm staying on true social or just Musk's who I, I don't think Musk is a big fan of Donald Trump in particular. Um, but who knows? But um, I mean, he Trump would be the only other competitor to be the main character of the day. If right. he does come back, especially if he's running, which I don't think he's going to do, but that's also I'm <laughs> running against right. conventional wisdom, I guess at this point. Um, so if, you know, Musk just wants Twitter to basically be about Musk at this point, then keeping Trump off um, helps that. OK, anything else you want to say before we um, wrap up? No, this has been a great conversation. I would just encourage any listeners to come subscribe to my newsletter if you enjoyed it. Yes, maxread.substack.com and the piece that we discussed will be linked in the show notes for the podcast. Um, so Max. Thanks for coming on Culturally Determined once again, and thanks to all of our listeners.